I want to I want to give you a challenge right now, and this is legitimately the challenge for every one of you, with the small exception, um, which I will tell you about in uh, in a minute. But my challenge is to turn off your phone. I'm not saying this because I'm worried about phones ringing in the church or anything. Like that. I, I'm, I'm saying this because I know what a challenge it is to turn off your phone. Do you have one of those little uh, things on your wrist, the, the, the phone slash, uh, slash uh, I don't know, handcuff that ties you to everyone in the world and that tells you every once in a while that you should get up and move? If you have one of those, take it off. Serious? If you brought your iPad or your game device or whatever, turn it off. Some of you are complying. Some of you like, not on your life. What are you, crazy? I don't care if your glasses talk to you. If you have some kind of electronic device that is talking to you, that is, that is instructing you, that is calling on you this morning, turn it off. Now, I was going to say there's one possible exception, and that is if you use this to, to, uh, to look at the text that we're reading today. But I, they are graciously going to appear on the screen, so you don't even need it for that. So turn them off. Some of you are just smiling at me like, no, uh-uh, ain't happening. I can see it on your faces. I had kids. I know what this look, look, looks like. Look, looks like. We live in an extremely busy hectic, crazy world. Would you agree with me? And it's our fault mostly. Because we carry around so much baggage, so so many things that can get a hold of us anywhere we happen to be. And if we can't find them, it freaks us right out. Oh no, where's my phone? In fact, I don't even know where mine is right now and it's kind of scaring me. Seriously. We live in a world of 24-7 contact and 24-7 interaction. Is it feeling a little hard for you? Those of you who actually complied and turned your device off, is it feeling a little stressful to you? If you're under 20, is it feeling a little stressful to you? If you're under 30, is it feeling a little stressful to you? No one will admit it. There are liars among us. Today I want to talk about the footprints of God. I want to talk about the idea that God has left markers, footprints, for us to follow along a path. And those footprints are sometimes hard to see and sometimes as plain as the nose on my face. They are clear at times and they're not as clear at times, but there are footprints left by God for us to follow. Today I want to talk about some, some specific ones that are absolutely called out. That they are there for us to see, to understand, and to follow after. The footprints of God. So as we talk about them today, as we go, I want you to catch this first text. This is from 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 57 and 58. It's a little bit longer than this, but I want to set up the text for a minute. This is when Solomon is inaugurating the new temple. As you can might imagine, I've been kind of drawn to anything that's talking about a new building lately. And so Solomon is inaugurating the new temple. He has this long prayer. It's this whole chapter. In fact, this inauguration takes three chapters. 
he has this long prayer. And I love this prayer because he goes systematically through the possible needs of the people of Israel while he's praying. And the prayer says something like, Should famine strike the nation of Israel because they have turned their back on you and because they no longer want to follow you? And should they be starving and should they be hungry and should they be in need of food? And they kneel before you and they pray toward this place, this new building, this sanctuary, this place that you have blessed with your own presence. If they pray to you and they turn toward you here, will you hear from heaven and answer their prayers? And he goes on down, if war should start, if they should be captured and taken away into another nation, obviously God had kind of pictured the future for him. And he goes systematically through it. He says, man, if they are in need and they stop and they pray, please listen. Please answer. And please help. And we get down towards the the end of it here when we get into this portion. You see we're at verses 57 and 58. We're quite a distance into chapter 8. And he stopped this prayer, and now he's actually blessing. The Bible says that he shouts this blessing over the nation. So imagine this massive group of people before there were microphones. Massive group of people gathered in Jerusalem. This brand new, amazing building project that's been going on for a decade. And he's got this, this, this spectacular thing like no one has ever seen before. And they're gathered there, and as they're standing looking out at it all, He gathers their attention by standing up and he blesses them. And part of the blessing is what's here. May the Lord our God be with us. Good blessing? Good blessing. As he was with our fathers. So think about who he's talking about. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. Those who had come through the wilderness. Those who had come to the promised land. Those who had known God's blessing. Their shoes didn't wear out. Food came down from heaven and rested on the ground in front of them. God fed them, took care of them. A rock actually followed. The Bible says that Jesus was the rock that followed them through the wilderness, that provided water when there was no place of water. God took care of them. In the the nighttime, there was a pillar of fire. In the daytime, there was a pillar of cloud. And God was with them through the whole time. He's saying, you were with our fathers in amazing ways. We'd like you to be with us in the same way. And then, may he not leave us nor forsake us. You know, if you read the rest of the history of Israel, have you, how many of you have been reading along with the church? I know there's at least about 100 of you who are reading along through the Bible. I, I would encourage you, if you haven't been doing it, um, jump in in the middle where we are now or, or p- pick up with us in December if you have to start on time with things. It's okay, but we're, we've been moving through the Old Testament and we've kind of moved past David and Solomon and now we've gotten into the other kings. Israel and and Judah have split. There's two tribes in the south, ten tribes in the north. And as you're reading it, you just see these arcs of blessing and cursing and blessing and cursing and blessing and cursing. And each time the text tells us why. Israel stopped following God. They wandered after other gods. They began to worship the disgusting idols around them. And as they did, God removed his blessing and things started to happen in a negative way to them. The point of the text is be aware that this is what happens. It's what happened to them, and it is what happens to us. Those of you who have lived more than 30, 40 years or so, you've seen this arc in your life, haven't you? You've seen the arc of blessings of God when you align yourself with Him. And you've seen the arc of a life that is strayed away from God into your own patterns and the struggles that it causes, right? 
Now, people look at these things in the Old Testament, they're good with it. They don't care. In modern times, we have trouble with it because they're following a sort of uh, uh, an Eastern way of thinking and logic, and we're following a more Western sort of Greek way of thinking and logic. And they're okay with, hey, the good times, the bad times, they all come from God. It has nothing to do with you. Well, it might have something to do with you because sometimes your choices may change. In the New Testament, we get into the, we're in the modern times, when we get into Greek, everything has to have a reason. Good things happen because of good things. Bad things happen because of bad things, and we don't let them cross over. They wouldn't care. They're not arguing that. And so when you're reading the Old Testament, you tend to bring your Greek logical theology and lo- or logical thinking towards it, and it messes you all up. But here's the deal. If you just want to take your Greek logical processes with you, when things go badly for Israel because they're worshiping other gods, recognize that they lose the blessing and protection and care of God. And that's what gets them. Not that God's mad and causing all kinds of harm to them. He's not brought somebody in there to hurt them. But they lose the blessing and protection of God. Think of it this way. You live in a hostile planet. There's a war going on, and there's a giant, impenetrable wall around you. And if you refuse... The one who builds and, builds and constructs and contains that wall, the one who, who maintains it all the time, if you refuse to follow him, he simply says, okay, all right, all right. And he unlocks the gate, and he walks away. And all of that anger, and all of that violence, and all of that war that's around you starts to get through the wall. And your life suffers the consequences. He says, may he not leave us or forsake us. That he may incline our hearts to himself and walk in all his, to walk in all his ways. I want this last underlined line to be where we spend most of our time today. That he may incline our hearts to himself to walk in all of his ways. I want to do this to you. I promise this is the only word I'm going to do this with. I want to get a little Hebrew on you today, okay? So here's your Hebrew, Hebrew lesson for the week, maybe for the month. The Hebrew root for the word incline, incline. What's the word we're looking at? Incline. The Hebrew word for it, the Hebrew root is nata. Can you say that? Nata, like Nutella, sort of, but not the same. Nata, okay? The Hebrew word, it simply means to be stretched or bent, to be stretched or bent. May he, may he stretch us or bend us to, to become inclined to him. May he shape us so that we're in his shape. May he stretch us so that we can reach his. May he bring us into his own shape and his own inclination. May our hearts be aligned with his and we become shaped and stretched and bent into his form. May he incline our hearts to him. You know what this implies, right? It implies that our hearts are not normally inclined to his. You get it? That in a normal state of humanity, our hearts are not inclined with him. Have you found that to be true? When you, when you stop reading, you stop studying, you stop praying, you stop being with people who support that and stop supporting you in your faith, do you notice that your heart strays away from following God? That's what the scripture is saying. We need our hearts to be bent and stretched and inclined and shaped into, the, into a, a heart like his. 
Because normally we're messed up and we're broken and we're out of that shape. We're out of shape. We're out of shape where it matters the most. We're out of shape with God. And you can have giant muscles and be out of shape with God. And you can have a belly the size of Texas and be in shape with God. Because the body you've got isn't the body you keep. But the heart you have is the heart you keep. The inclination of the heart is what matters the most. And you are here in the gymnasium of heart inclination. That's what we do, right? We get together and we exercise our faith. We come to a place where we work out draw ourselves and our hearts into shape with God, to be inclined toward His. To, the second half, to walk in all His ways. To walk in all His ways. Fathers, it's a good day, it's a good weekend. You might get breakfast tomorrow. Maybe not. Maybe so. But do you remember following your father? Do you ever remember trying to make your steps match up with his steps? It could be someone else. It could be a father figure of something else. It could be an uncle. It could, be, it could even be an aunt. It could be any, any figure whom you wanted to imitate where you're looking at their footsteps and you're trying, especially if you're somewhere in the beach or in the snow or something, you're trying to make your foot reach out to their foot. Did you ever have to stretch to make that work for you so that you could walk in the footsteps of someone with much longer legs? Do you remember that? That's the point of the text. Let him stretch us, bend us, incline us. Let him make us able to follow in those giant, really wide footprints of his. May we all be able to walk in all his ways. May we be able to walk where he walks to step where he steps, to, to do the things that model our lives after him. Lord, may we please learn to walk like Jesus. May we learn to walk in the footprints left behind by our God. You get it? Man, what a prayer. What a beautiful prayer. I've been reading through the scripture in the message version myself. And it's been touching me in different ways because... They rephrase things. They state things differently. Sometimes I have to look it up in the, in the Greek or the Hebrew to make sure they're, they're not giving me something fallacious. So I actually spent some time with this one. I've done it with a couple of others where I stopped. I looked back and said, did they, did they translate this right? Did they kind of warp in this a little bit or did they get this? This is how they translated it. May he keep us centered and devoted to him. Inclining your heart. Get it? Centered and devoted to him. Following the life path he has cleared. Now I want you to get a bit another picture. Have you ever followed someone in the snow? Where the snow was deep and your legs were short. Have you been that guy? Have you been that person? Have you been in that place where you're trying to get through? The snow's kind of deep and your legs are kind of short. And so who gets up front? Who do you put up front in a situation like that? Beside the person with the snowshoes? You put the bigger person put the stronger person up front and they they clear the path 
So now it's step, and it's drag, and it's step. It's drag. If you've ever been the one who clears the path, you know, right? You drag through the snow so that you clear it for the people behind you. And it's harder work to set the path. It's harder work to clear the path. But he's okay with that. He clears the path. May we be found following the life path he has cleared. Watching his signposts, walking at the pace and rhythms he has laid down for our ancestors. Walking at the pace and rhythms he has laid down for our ancestors. Now, since you all turned off your devices, and if you're reading a Bible, you're reading one in paper, except for Carlene, who's looking at his phone right now. You are called out. If you're reading this in the King James, New King James, New International Version, if you're reading the Revised Standard Version, it says it a little differently. But what it says is that we should follow after. We should follow after the things God taught our fathers. Our ancestors. The rules, the commands, the regulations, the statutes. The things he laid out before him. Now I want you to want you to hear statutes, regulations, commandments, rules, and I want you to translate them all to a path cleared for my footsteps. Rules, regulations, commandments, statutes, a path cleared for my footsteps. You get it? And then I want you to catch this line. The pace and rhythms. He laid down for our ancestors. The pace and rhythms he laid down for our ancestors. So I have a question for you. How's your rhythm? I was once standing in our other building in the multipurpose facility in a church service that we were holding over there probably, it's got to be 10, 15 years ago now. And I was standing near the front. I was standing drum side. And I was clapping. I was probably about equivalent to where Shri and Marlene are right here. And I was clapping along with the song. I wasn't paying any attention to it. I was just clapping along with the song. Now, I clap loud. And if I want to, I can clap really loud. I have big, fluffy hands. And I'm clapping along. Someone in church, I won't say who it was, from behind me came up to the front row where I was standing. And said to me, if you're going to clap, at least do it on time. And then they demonstrated for me. And I listened to what they were doing. And it seemed exactly the same to what I was doing. So maybe I'm a little rhythmic challenged. Did you notice that Pastor Tim had rhythm? Were you listening to those songs? I wanted to break out in the Elvis version. Here my time is almost gone. Just because Tim's going on his bass. The man has rhythm. Rhythm is a life light for Tim. I was the first time this happened to me, I didn't know what was going on. I'm driving along with Tim in the car. Please don't trade the, change this, Tim, because I love this, wherever you are. I'm driving along with the car, in the car with him. It's silent. The radio's not even on. 
And all of a sudden, I hear on the other side over in his seat a sound. And it's a very small sound. But it's like... I looked at him and said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, sorry. (laughs) I just had a song in my head. And I found out there was always a song in his head. Were you here a few weeks ago when when he preached? on the song Jesus was singing on the cross. If you haven't, go back and watch it on, online. It's a really, really wonderful sermon. The song Jesus was singing on the cross. That kind of music, the constant rhythms of things go through his head all the time. And if you listen closely, sometimes you're standing next to Tim, just get real quiet and stand there and listen. Because I will bet you within a few minutes you're going to hear He's picked up the bass beat or the rhythm beat on some song. could be any song. It doesn't have to be related to anything you're doing. Just something is running through his head, and he starts picking up the beat. I love it. uh, Pastor Tim has rhythm. How is the rhythm of your life? Does it have any? Or are you running through it? at a breakneck speed every single day. Is coming to church a little frustrating because it causes a break in the action? We live in the most productive nation in the world. Did you know that? America is the most productive nation in the world. It's, it's a good thing. It's a, it's a thing to be proud of, I guess. But we have now, we have now sacrificed our time off almost entirely. The average American no longer works 40 hours a week. The average American is now stretched to work three to, week to at least 45 and those of you who are on call and have your phone and your, and your device is always on to answer email, you're probably pushing 60 hours a week. We now work more than any other nation in the world. We're paying a, pi- a price for this productivity. And in that price, we are finding disease at the other end. We're finding stress-related diseases. We're finding we put our bodies under such pressure for such long periods of time that new new diseases are developing in us. Our bodies are becoming hyperactive to things to the point where now inside our body starts thinking we're sick and attacking itself. And much of it seems to be a result of the pace of our lives. Let me ask you a question. Don't say it out loud. How many hours of sleep do you get? How many cups of coffee a day do you have to drink to keep moving through the afternoon? How's the rhythm of your life? Is it following some path that was cleared by our Father? Or is it just a flat sprint to the next I will tell you that for the past several months, probably for a year and a half or so, um, my life's been way out of rhythm. 
just because I wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes two or three o'clock in the morning, worrying about the things that are going on down here that I can do nothing about at three o'clock in the morning. But send a, send a note off. So I sent I sent text messages and emails to builders and contractors in the middle of the blooming night. What was crazy is I would get answers back. <laughs> One of the lead contractors on this job got up every morning, gets up every morning between 3.30 and 4. And sometimes he'd beat me and I'd wake up and there'd be an email from him waiting to greet me. How's your sleep? Are you resting? How are you doing? How's your Sabbath? Does your life have a pattern of rest? And I don't just mean that you get rest once in a while. Does your life have a pattern of rest? Are there cycles of work and rest? If it doesn't, it's your life. And ultimately, could destroy your very soul and body. So are you with me? Maybe I should have went fast. <laughs> Did you understand that Sabbath existed before there was a Bible? Remember that? Way back in Genesis, before there was a Bible, there was a Sabbath. Before there was sin, there was Sabbath. So the Sabbath has nothing to do with sin, right? Sabbath is not the result of sin and you getting tired. We'll cover this in a minute. Sabbath was not God's plug-in for sin and your body being worn out and tiring out. It, it's not because it existed before there was sin. And third, when both are gone, Scripture, sin, all the results, Sabbath will still exist. Right? So biblically it says, I'll, I'll, I'll cover these as quickly as I can. But I conclude from them that there must be something basic about Sabbath that we all need. We needed it before there was sin. We will continue to have it and need it apparently in eternity. There must be something basic about it that we all need. Is that a reasonable conclusion? So let's take a quick look at this biblically. Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day he rested from all his work of his creation. Before Sinai, there was Sabbath. At creation, the last act of creation was to set aside a day for mankind. Sabbath was here right at creation, before the fall. Exodus 16, verse 26. Remember, the, 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 the Jewish people have not reached Sinai. They don't get to Sinai for another few chapters. And God is feeding them. Remember the story of God feeding them. Anybody know what was sent down from heaven to feed them? And quail. Very good, biblical scholar. Quail and manna both come down to them. Manna comes down to them every day except for Sabbath. You gather your foods for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. God said, we're taking a break from this. 
we're taking a break so consistently and so seriously. I'm not even sending manna that day. I am not sending food for you that day. Get your food the day before. No other day would the food last from one day to the next. But on Friday into Sabbath, it would last. And there was plenty for both days. Before Mount Sinai, there was Sabbath. Are you following so far? Good. I'm building an argument here. So hopefully we'll get to something that makes sense to you. Sabbath was, will be present into eternity. It's Isaiah 66, 22 and 23. For as a new earth, which I will make, shall remain before me, says the Lord. So shall your descendants. There's more. That's what the ellipses mean. And from one Sabbath to another, all flesh will come and do what? To worship before me, says the Lord. From new moon to new moon, Sabbath to Sabbath. On Sabbath in heaven, you will gather together in worship. Think about that. Two things get carried with you for sure into heaven now, right? Two things we know are going. Sabbath and worship. And do you realize you can practice both? You get a chance to, to, to prepare for and practice for Sabbath and worship in heaven. We're talking about the footprints of God and the rhythms of his walk. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. From Adam and Eve's very first day, or Adam and Eve's very first day was a Sabbath. Genesis 2, 1, the heavens and the earth were finished, and on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. He blessed it. He made it holy. Do you realize that Adam and Eve's first day on the planet was a Sabbath? Realize that? You caught that before? Adam and Eve's first day. So they're freshly minted. If there ever was a time to say, okay, guys, get at it. I got stuff for you to do. You just came off the, 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 the conveyor belt of creation. Now, boom, get on it. The, the garden needs tending. Things need to happen. Get on with life. I got instruction for you to do stuff. No. The very first thing they do is Sabbath. The very first thing Adam and Eve do is Sabbath. It cannot be about resting from work because those lazy bones hadn't done a stitch of anything in all the all the regular having Sabbath. Sabbath is not about resting from work. It's not about resting from. It's about resting for. That's a very significant difference. Because we tend to think, particularly in the Western world, that we have to run, 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 run through our week and watch the clock as it's finally ticking the last seconds before Sabbath. We slide in. And now I can rest from all of that. Right? But if this biblical representation is true, Sabbath is not about resting from. It's about resting for. It's about resting for a relationship with God. It's about resting for the week that is to come. It's about connecting with God in a different way because stuff is going to come. It's about preparing yourself to be in a walk, in a rhythm with God 
for the week to come. It's not about resting from all your hard labor. It's about resting for the days ahead and walking them with God. That worship on that day is to prepare your heart to worship all week long in preparation and for the days and things that are coming. That rest on that day is in preparation for the week to come and the things that will flow at you out of it. It's about resting for, not from. If you get that one thing out of today, that'll help you a ton. Sabbath is about prep for. And Sabbath, Sabbath is rhythm. 16-1 rhythm. I don't know how you play that. Tim, if you were here, I'd ask you to do that on bass. Because it sounds really fun. No idea what that looks like. Six days. You will labor and do all your work. Get your stuff done. Seventh day. Rest. Just rest. You rest. Rest. The Sabbath is there designed to make a difference in your life. The Sabbath rhythm is designed into you. It's designed for you. Jesus would say to Mark chapter 2, the Sabbath was made for man. Not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It's a gift like anything else. It was made for you. It was made for you. If you are breaking the Sabbath, it's not hurting God's feelings. He'd like to spend the day with you, but you're really breaking yourself. You can't break God's laws. They break you. The Sabbath was made into who you are. You go out and jump off the top of this building. It's about 35 feet. When you hit the ground, what's going to happen to you? The law of gravity is going to break you. Right? If you do not have the rhythms of rest in your life, it will break you. You know it's true because you've done it. Some of us have done those things where we've sprinted through some difficult passage, some time in our life when things have been really busy or really hard, and we've gone through it, we get through it, we struggle through it, we've gone through it the whole way, and we didn't get sick the whole time, and we've been just running on adrenaline and coffee for weeks, and we get through the end of this thing, and we get to the end, what happens? You finally sit down, you finally relax, you finally put your feet up, and you get sick. Right? Because you've beat your body and graciously God installed some mechanisms in you to get you through difficult times. But you're not meant to live on adrenaline. You're not meant to live stimulated for a fight. And we spend most of our time in modern America living in the stimulus of fight or flight. We fight or flight. We get on the freeway. It's fight or flight. We go to our work. It's fight or flight. We go home and face our family. It's fight or flight. It's a constant question of how the battle's going. We actually will say that to each other. We won't ask, how are you doing? To some people, and in some people's regular language, they'll say, how's the battle? How's the battle? Because we recognize that it's become a fight or flight world. Getting a little too personal for a day without a suit and tie. Kind of hope I am. Sabbath is a rhythm thing. Sabbath is a rhythm thing. It's a rest thing. It's a worship thing. And from Sabbath to Sabbath, from one Sabbath to another, 
all flesh would come to worship the cornerstone Savior. Sabbath is designed to synchronize us with God. He says, hey, I want you to stop all the craziness for a day. Because I made you. Remember, this day is to help you remember that I made you. This day is to help you reconnect with me. Stop. Turn off your devices. Stop. Quit chasing everything. Stop. Sabbath is an act of faith. I was standing out in front of a church, a church I pastored some years ago. And as I was standing out in front of that church, I was looking at the grass. And the head deacon started telling me a story. He said, you see this grass? I said, yeah. They love to tell stories about pastors. He said, we planted this grass, and uh, we got it all set. You know, we did all the preparation. We put the seed out. We covered the seed up. And he said, one Sabbath after church, the, the pastor had gone in the back room and changed, put on some, some work boots and some jeans, and he'd come out, and he was watering the grass. It was hot in that place. I get it. And the deacon said, I walked out to him and I said, hey, what are you doing? Pastor said, the seeds are going to need water. They don't know what day it is. Again, people love to tell stories about pastors. His next line was profound. He said, but God wants the grass. If God wants the grass to grow, he can take care of the grass. Sabbath is an act of faith. It's stepping away from my interaction and control of my world and letting God take over. It's stopping for 24 hours and saying, okay, God, what happens today is your business. What happens today is on you. Sabbath is a training ground for resting in faith. As given is a training ground for resting in faith. Sabbath is about resting in faith and trusting that God has control of your plan. But giving is simply about resting in faith and, and believing that God has control over your finances. Sabbath is an act. How's your rhythm? How's your rhythm? Are you walking in the path that's been cleared before you by God? Can he take care of your stuff on the Sabbath? Can he grow grass on the Sabbath to do that? I have seeds in my house. I've got a lawn that looks so terrible because I keep seeding it and pulling the weeds that come up. I'm not seeding it with weeds. The devil's doing that. But you know, if it's 145 today and God wants grass to grow, he can make it grow. How's the path? Are you following in the footsteps of the Father? He cleared a path. He said, I know what works best for you. I know what will help you the most. How's the rhythm of your life? How's the rhythm of your life? May he keep us centered and devoted to him.
into his life. Following the path, the life path that he has created. Watching the signposts, walking at the pace and rhythm he laid down for us. As your guide. Let's pray. Father God, this is so hard. It gets at us where we want to control things. Gets at us where we want to make things happen ourselves. It gets at us where we want to run things. I pray for rest for our souls. I pray for us to lean into you, to trust that you actually do know what you're doing. to believe that the 24 hours of a week you can take care of us with of our rails and if the rails come off while you're in charge you have a plan but you have a plan I pray for the rhythms of our church in our lives, to be inclined and shaped.